This is Retails, Conversations with Profit Protection, the podcast that talks direct with retailers about all things loss prevention, with your host, Nicole Smith. Did you know that the Profit Protection Future Forum is the only not-for-profit industry body promoting the interests of retail loss prevention professionals in Australia and New Zealand? Hi there and welcome to the show. On today's episode, I'm talking via Skype with Professor Adrian Beck from the University of Leicester. Over the last 30 years, Adrian's research has focused primarily upon developing new ways to understand and manage losses in retail businesses. He is the academic advisor to the ECR Community Shrinkage and On-Shelf Availability Group and undertakes various studies on their behalf to improve awareness and understanding of the problems of loss throughout retail supply chains. His research has focused upon developing the concept of total retail loss, enabling businesses to better understand the overall impact losses can have upon their organisations. Thanks so much for your time today, Adrian. It's a pleasure. So, Adrian, you've developed the loss prevention pyramid after researching the practices of US retailers with a reputation for low shrink. And I guess despite the old school catching crooks mentality, being the saviour to keep shrinkage low, it actually requires a company-wide strategy focused on operational excellence. So I want to take it back a step. Can we take it back to basics? And can you just go through with me, what is the retail shrinkage life cycle? Sure, yeah. The, the, the loss prevention pyramid really came about with people who kept asking me, you know, what does good look like? Who are the, who are the really good retailers out there who are uh, delivering low levels of loss for their organisations, and and I, I didn't really have a good answer for them, um, and so I decided to do a piece of research to see whether we could begin to first of all find out you know which companies were performing very well on a number of basic metrics, but then try and find out why they were doing so well. What was it about these organisations in terms of the way that they were going about trying to manage the problem of loss that that made them so effective, and 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 that really brought me initially to the, the idea of this loss prevention life cycle, which is you find that um, organisations don't stay static in the way that they perform um, in terms of managing loss, that you, you often find a, a company will be doing very well at a certain period of its time, and then you come back and you look at them a couple of years later, and they're not doing so well. Mm-hmm. And so they you end up finding that they seem to move around this, this life cycle of shrinkage where for a period of time, they're doing quite well. And then the next time you look, they're not doing so well. And then you look again, and then they're doing quite well again. So there's this sense of a life cycle that was going on. And what I wanted to understand was, what was it that enabled some of these companies to have very low levels of shrinkage um, at certain points in this life cycle? So why do you think it's so hard for retailers to sustain a consistent low shrink in their business? Why does it have this life, life cycle? I think what you find is that uh, what I found from my research was that that those companies who were on a downwards cycle in terms of their shrinkage coming down, you look at the key factors that that drove that. And what you find is there's often a tipping point where typically the the, the shrinkage number reaches what is considered to be an unacceptable level for the organisation. And all of a sudden, the organisation becomes very focused on managing the problem in terms of responding to it to providing the resources and the prioritization and the commitment to try and do something about it. And so you see a lot of energy that goes in to the company driving down their loss number from this, what was considered to be an unacceptable number. And they eventually get down to a good level. But what you then find is that 
people then feel that the job is done mm. and and therefore they begin to find other priorities to look at they they suddenly begin to say well we don't we now don't need to resource it at the level that we did because it's been fixed um and so i think organizations have almost a sort of sense of, of myopia um about why they did it in the first place that they forget the the, the rationale for for driving losses down and actually what they need to recognize is that in order to keep shrinkage low you need to keep working at it it's not something that simply goes away it's something that needs to be managed yeah, and that's it, what organizations often forget yeah it doesn't seem to be business as usual once they've got it to that that uh that lowest point or that acceptable point it shouldn't it be business as usual shouldn't it be part of the way they do business absolutely it should it should be but unfortunately um, organizations forget there is there is and, and you'll find for instance that that you know people move within the organization so people don't remember why they did certain things I remember one example for instance when I come from one company we worked with where you know they had lots of losses within their supply chain and so we suggested that they bring in a secure supply chain for very hot products those who are most likely to get lost in the supply chain and we brought this in and it worked terribly well Mm-hmm. Um, and then a few years later, a new manager came in and said, well, why have we got this different supply chain for these products? It's very expensive. You know, it adds, it adds complexity to the business. Let's get rid of it because I can't see the point of this. And lo and behold, then over time, losses go up. So you have this problem of you know, organizations forgetting why they did certain things. And obviously, at certain times when companies are trying to reduce their costs, then they will look for ways in which they can reduce things that they've been doing that may be considered complex or or costing more money and and and, and forget why they were doing them because it was about trying to reduce losses. Mm. So what is the loss prevention pyramid? Well what it was was when I went to look at these um these companies who were you know lots of people in the industries were saying you must go and look at this organization they're really very good. And I eventually I I I I I chose five US companies to go and spend time with to understand what it was about them that you know that, that was enabling them to have what seemed to be really very low levels of loss. And so the pyramid really came from my analysis of those companies to understand what were the key factors that seemed to explain um why they were performing so well. Um and it, and it was really came about as a pyramid because you know, I was trying to emphasize the importance of the um, interconnectedness between the 11 factors that eventually made up the pyramid, but also the the, the, the point that those at the top of the pyramid and, and the, the pyramid really points towards those in the stores. It was it was sort of a, a really a pre online world in, in terms of the way that this was developed. Um, but but those in the stores who were responsible for loss, they were at the top of the pyramid and they they were only able to stay at the top if the other uh, 10 elements that sat underneath them were in place. And if they weren't in place, then the whole pyramid would collapse. And so it was a sense of interconnectedness that, that bring together all the different factors that enable those who are at the sharp end of managing loss to do their job well. Okay, so you, you break the pyramid up into three parts, I guess, strategic, organisational and operational. Yeah. If we look at strategic... Can you talk me through those three steps? So we've got senior management commitment, embedded loss prevention and organisational yeah. ownership. I'm, sure. I'm going to guess that the senior management commitment is the key to this. Absolutely right. Yeah. I, you know, all the people I speak to and, and even now, you know, when I still see people, you know, who are using this, that, that, that they all say that if you don't get 
the senior management on board with this, then, then you really haven't got a chance. You know, that, that they are the the foundation stone of the pyramid because they're able to, you know, do three things, really. They, they, they're able to ensure compliance. You know, if, if you want to get things done, if you haven't got the senior management behind you, it can be very difficult to get that compliance. They obviously can provide you with the financial support that you might need as a loss prevention manager to get things done. But they can also generate urgency within the business. You know, if they're saying loss prevention is a priority, then usually the rest of the business uh, listens. And so that for me is the fundamental block. How can you get the senior management within your organization committed to the idea of developing an effective uh, loss prevention strategy? So how do you do that? How do you get senior management on board, particularly if they're, you know, retail's tough at the moment. So everyone's looking at sales and how can we improve sales? How yeah. do you get them to be committed to loss? Because it's not a sexy topic. It is. No, you're absolutely right. It is, it is a tough one. And, and, and for me, the way I've tried to um, explain this is, is you need to explain to them the size of the prize. Um, you know, for too long, I think, in our world of loss prevention, we always talk about negatives. You know, it's about loss. It's about crime. It's about problems. And actually, that's not a language that the rest of the business understands or talks about very much. What they talk about is about profit. It's about enhancing the customer experience. And so I think what the way that you try and sell it into senior management companies, you need to use their language. You need to say, our job at loss prevention isn't about preventing loss. It's about it's about enhancing the profitability of the organization. And so you need to go with them and say, look, here is the size of the prize. That if we get this right, we can grow our profits by X percent. We can really enhance the consumer experience by this much. And so really try and talk their language, explain to them why it matters to the organization. Because if we don't, then, as you say, you know, it's not it can be a very unsexy topic. And they'll simply say, well, it's just, you know, it's an inevitable consequence of what we have to do. But it's not very important. And I think we need to flip the language and really emphasize the value that it can bring to a business. So the next step in the pyramid is that organizational side. So where we've got communicating shrinkage, loss prevention, leadership, prioritizing people, collaboration, innovation and experimentation, mm. operational excellence and data management. So how does yeah. this all fit in from, from the strategic part? Yeah, so that's, you know, you know the, the, the two of the strategic parts today is about organizational ownership and, and, and embedding loss prevention and those to really sit together because you need you know, on, on on your own loss prevention can't do this it needs the rest of the business to buy into this but it also needs to buy into it and have it embedded in what they do because it's very easy for you to say yes i'm absolutely committed to loss prevention and they go off and do you know their own thing whereas if you embed it into what they do it's very hard for them to ignore it so you get those you know get those elements right and then yeah these sort of strategic elements around you know, how do we get the right data so that we can begin to understand how loss is impacting upon the business? Key to this for me. And then the other elements, you know, how can we, you know, we, we know that, that, that loss prevention is constantly changing. And so we need to make sure that, that innovation experimentation is, is part of the lifeblood of, of how we think about this issue and how we can begin to try and collaborate not only within the organisation, but also with other organisations outside as well. So how do we work with suppliers, the police, other retailers to try and do this? Um, and so those strategic elements all really come together and say, this is the sort of the nitty gritty of how you begin to develop a systematic and comprehensive approach to try and manage loss more effectively and sustainably. And so these, these various elements really come together, I think, to deliver the vision that the, you know, particularly the senior management commitment requires. 
Do you think that collaboration piece, I feel like we can always do better with that, particularly well, both internally and when you're dealing with other retailers. Yeah. That, that piece is, um, I find, is quite difficult for organisations to achieve. It is, you're right. And, you know, and, and it's, it's something I come up against an awful lot, um, particularly when I'm trying to do research and trying to get information where I want people mm. to share. Um, but, but I think, you know, it, it needs to be broken down into different elements because, um, you know, for, for me, one of the big pieces around collaboration is actually working with suppliers. Uh, and, and the reason why I say that is <clears throat> it's very easy for retail organisations to try and think that they have the answer to all the problems that they face. And actually, some of the key issues that retailers face around loss prevention, they can't fix very easily. They can put sticking plasters on these issues, but actually the more fundamental root cause may be due to something else. Um, so it could be, for instance, you know, that, that the way that a, a, a manufacturer has designed a product or, or created the packaging is creating the problem or it's, it's, it's enabling that problem to occur. And therefore, to really fix it, you need to go back to the manufacturer and say, you know what? You need to help us with this. We, we need to redesign this product to make sure it is less prone to loss within our retail environment. And that requires collaboration between the retailer and the supplier. Um, but equally, you know, there is a lot of issue around sharing crime data between retail organisations. And certainly here in the UK, there's been lots of efforts to try and get people to share information, for instance, around, you know, people who are notorious thieves who, who probably will, will be will be feeding on a, a whole range of different retailers. How can how can information be shared between retailers to make sure that that across the board you're less vulnerable to these sorts of characters? And that has often hit buffers around data protection um, or, or or issues around um, trying to get a platform that people can can easily share this information. Um, and so it, it isn't easy, but I think there's, there's there's a huge opportunity if you can begin to reach back down your supply chains reach out towards other retailers within your environment. Um, but I think also, you know, we need, we need to think about how you collaborate within your own organisation as well, that it's very easy for the loss prevention team to be seen as the people who deal with loss, where actually, in my, in my view, they really should be the, you know, I often said as the agents of change. Mm -hmm. You know, loss prevention need to work with the other functions, the supply chain people, the store operations people, HR, to say, look, we need to work together with this because we can't do it on our own. And therefore, the collaboration needs to be as much internally as it is, I think, externally. But it does, you're right, it takes effort and, and energy and time, but it's worth it. Yeah, I totally agree. So the next step is obviously the operational side being the, the store and what they do. So you, I guess you can implement and uh, and have as many strategies as possible, but if they're not implementing it at store, it's not going to help very yeah, much. Yeah, that's, that, that's absolutely right. You know, that, that, that ultimately it comes down to, and, and certainly, you know, this, this when I first developed this model, it was a sort of a uh, very much dominated by the, the, the physical retail store. And as we all know now, we're moving on to a much more online world which changes this a little bit but i think it's still i think it still fits but you know for me uh, when, when i think about the, the the store management element of this and their and their responsibilities for ultimately delivering the loss prevention strategy of the organization is, is I, I often think of it like a it's a bit like a corridor and there's lots of doors down this corridor and what you want the, is the store team to get to the end of that corridor which is ultimately where they end up taking responsibility for loss but all these doors down this corridor are, are, are places where they can escape 
uh, mm. escape their responsibilities. So they can open one day and say, well, look, you know, you never give me the data to understand what's going on in my store. So how on earth can I take responsibility if you don't give me good quality data? Or they'll say, well, you know, the stuff never arrives from the supply chain. So, you know, that's not my fault. So they escape through the supply chain door. Or they'll say, well, you know, we're in such a rough area that there's nothing I can do about loss. And therefore, you know, I can escape through the, the, the door of not, not being my responsibility. So, you know, I think the job of the lower elements of the pyramid is to close off all those doors down that corridor to responsibility. So the store manager and the store team end up having the right tools and the data and you've given them the training and you listen to them and you give them the support that they need to enable them to ultimately deliver an effective loss prevention strategy. But if you don't have those elements in, other elements in place underneath them, the store team will always have the excuse to say, you know what, it's not our fault and you yeah. don't help us and therefore, you know, what, what do you expect? <laughs> so true. So <laughs> you, you wrote the pyramid, what, over 10 years ago now? Is that yes. Roughly 10 yes. years ago. So I'm interested to know, the five retailers that were best practice then, are they still yep. best, best practice now, given that, <laughs> that it's gone from bricks and mortar and now we've got this online and omni-channel platform that suddenly has come yeah. into the, our space? So are they still best practice? Well, you know, it's, it, it's a really good question, Nicole. And actually, just before you, you started this, I went back to my original report of this. And actually, it's from 2007 uh, when I first uh, wrote about this. And the five companies... Um, were all US, as I say. They, they were they, they were Target, uh, Limited Brands, Best Buy, CVS, and The Gap mm-hmm. were the five companies back then. And you know, it's hard to know because uh, you know I, I haven't really revisited these companies. I certainly went to interview Target uh, a year ago as a piece of a, a different piece of research, and I've spoke, spoken to The Gap because they certainly are. Uh, pioneering around trying to manage the problem of, of online losses uh, that you know uh, in, in terms of how they manage their organization around that but I think some of them have undoubtedly been through the life cycle many times um, uh, one that I think is, is consistently done very well is Best Buy uh, I, I've been back to see them several times now and they they have been very consistent in keeping their their, their shrinkage number really very low and I think one of the key drivers for them was because they really invested heavily in um, making sure that they had the high quality data to understand how the problem was affecting their organization and made sure that they were able to communicate that to their stores regularly, effectively, and in a way which made sense to the stores. And so for me, I think certainly Best Buy continued to be a very good company. But yeah, I'm sure some of these others may have been around the life cycle, it might be quite an interesting exercise to go back and see how they're doing. I think it, I think it would be because you, you now we, we're in a different space altogether with all this online uh, and the way customers shop now is there's so many different ways that they can do it. So yeah. it would it, be fascinating to see if they are still considered best practice within what they do from a loss perspective. Yes, it, it really would. I think be, if you certainly know of any funders who would like to send me back over to the US, I'd be very happy to go and do it. <laughs> Which step in the pyramid do you think is hardest for a retailer to implement? You know, I, th- I think it, it depends where where people are within their within their approaches. You know, for for me, I've certainly found lots who've really struggled to get the senior management commitment on board. You know, how do you put together that persuasive argument? 
to ensure that you then get the the urgency, the prioritization and the financial support you need to deliver this. And so that for me, I think has been a, a really important one. But I think the one that people forget the most, I think, is around communicating loss. Um, and, you know, how, how do you actually get across the message to all the different people within the retail organization? And you know, as, as to your earlier point, you know, Shrinkage isn't a very sexy subject. I know, I know we find it exciting, but a lot of people in retailing, mm. surprise, surprise, don't find it very exciting. <laughs> and so how do we actually develop messaging that in, enables them to understand why it matters, but also why their role matters in trying to manage it? And I think we, we, we can be a bit lazy in how we communicate it. We can be very presumptuous in the way that we describe it. So, you know, for instance, we often will use, you know, the shrinkage number, which is calculated as a percentage of retail sales. You know? And so, you know, this number, and it, you know, it'll be something like, you know, 1.2% or whatever it might be. That doesn't mean very much to somebody who works on the shop floor in a store. It doesn't sound very big and it doesn't sound very interesting. But if you can, you know, communicate to them that in their store in the last 12 months, they've lost, you know, the equivalent of the salary of 15 people who work in that store, then that begins to make a lot more sense. They'll understand why it matters. So, you know, I think for me, I often see where, where people fail the most is around actually communicating loss in a way that makes sense to everybody across the organization and doing it in a way which is simple, hits the nail on the head um, and and uses language that everybody understands. I totally agree that I saw a, a retailer once they bought all the stuff in before the store opened. They had a table full of um, towels. And everyone was standing there looking at it going, what, the, what are the towels for? And they yeah. said, this is what we lose. So rather than do it as a dollar figure, they were like, yeah. this table of towels that was piled high, this is yeah. what we lose every hour of our trading day. And suddenly you saw the penny drop. Yeah, absolutely. And you it know, was and, a, and, just a, a really good way to... Because you're right, when people talk about numbers, like if you're not a mathematical person, it can go in one ear and out, come out the other pretty yeah. quickly. But this was a really, the visual representation of it was so powerful, like it was brilliantly done. Yeah, and no, I, I remember I remember Maya uh, in, in Australia doing this incredibly well. They had a, this fantastic campaign that they ran a few, many, well, quite a few years ago now, but it really, it really focused in on, you know, how do we turn the numbers into things that make sense to people? It was, it was really very clever and, and, and very impactful, as you say. Mm. So have you updated now that, okay, we've gone from 2007, we're in 2019. I'm guessing things have changed a little bit. Have you updated the pyramid? It's, it's interesting. Isn't it? Yeah, I've, I've sort of revisited it several times to see whether the, the 11 elements still make sense. And, and Actually, they still do. You know, I can I can still benchmark organisations against these eleven elements. But I think what, where I've I've used it most recently, actually, is um, I've I've adapted it um, to uh, to help with understanding losses associated with self scan. You know, I just finished this study recently on self scan checkouts to understand the size of the problem, but also how we might manage it. And and I I reused the pyramid, but I, I adapted it to make it fit to help us understand how we might manage self-scan checkout losses more effectively. And so what, what it really struck, struck me is that actually the pyramids is as much an, uh, an, an analytical framework that you can use. You can, you can adapt it to help you understand what's going on within your organisation. Because actually, when you look at the 11 factors, they, they really work across a whole range of different areas. You know, if you just think about if you're introducing 
um, a new innovation into your organization, then you really do want to think about, well, you know, have we got the data to understand what this might mean? You know, are we are we innovating, experimenting well to understand, you know, when things begin to change, will, will this work? Are we collaborating properly? Are people a key part of this? And are we then, you know, communicating how losses may be affected if we introduce this? So for me, it's, it's, it's proven to be a very um, valuable analytical tool. And, and as I say, I've, I've just adapted it. And you can see it in the, uh, the, the, the ECR report that's available on the self-scan study, how I've just adapted it marginally to just to just so that the language is more relevant to cell scan so i still think it's got a lot of power going forwards because ultimately you can you can measure yourself against these 11 factors how are you as an organization doing in terms of organizational ownership how are you doing in terms of trying to embed loss prevention into your business you know, how committed are your senior managers to this and so it, it seems to be seems to be lasting well over time unlike me <laughs> Adrian, last time you were out here, which was, was it last year, I think? Yes? Yes, yes. Out of Australia, you talked about new loss prevention. So can you talk to me about what that is and um, how retailers can implement it? Yeah, sure. This, 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 this is sort of an ongoing project I've been, I've been thinking about for an awful long time, which, which for me, it was built upon my frustration of the inability of the, the word shrinkage to really describe you know, all the different ways in which loss impacts upon a retail organisation. You know, shrinkage is a very unidimensional approach to understanding loss. It only really measures unknown loss. It measures, you know, uh, basically what what a, what a retailer has lost when they count, count all their stock through an audit. But it doesn't really help to understand who took it, when it happened, why it happened at all. Um, and, and ignores a whole range of other things that went on. So, so total retail loss was me pulling together how we can begin to think about uh, how losses impact upon 21st century retailers. And, 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 and so it, it, it was really trying to piece that bit together to say shrinkage only measures a tiny slither of the ways in which retail organisations suffer loss. And total retail loss was saying, well, here's the bigger picture. This is how loss actually affects retail organisations in the, in the round. Mm-hmm. Um, and so a big part of that was saying, well, what do we, you know, how do we define loss? Because this this is a word we use a lot, but what, what, what is included in the word loss? You know, is it is it is it everything that we lose or or what? So 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 to, total retail loss, first of all, put a definition together to say this is what we mean by loss. And then once we once we understand that, we know then what to put into that bucket. Um, and then it went on to try and explain how losses affect different parts of retail organisations and really, you know, began to drive forward our understanding, I think, around um, e-commerce in particular, because we know it's a, you know, such a growing area. Uh, and I think shrinkage is not very good at all in terms of a word of explaining how losses may be generated by online sales, for instance. So it was a much more comprehensive way of thinking about how loss impacts upon retail organizations uh, and so ended up with I think it was 30 33 categories of loss that were part of the typology that I first first developed there um, so going really from one measure which was the shrink number the unknown loss number right through to 33 33 measures which for some organizations is incredibly challenging you know mm. it's, it's, it's really going from the sublime to the ridiculous in many respects in terms of having going from one to 33 and so i've just been doing some follow-up research to 
understand how retail organizations have actually been using this and how it needs to whether it needs to change because it's two years ago now since I over two years since I developed it so how does it need to change as the retail world changes so it's 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 been an interesting journey understanding how people have been um, thinking about and using that the, the model but for me it's the future because it, it really you know offers retailers a way to understand the full extent to which they are impacted by by retail loss yeah so tell me you you just touched briefly on your um current research project can you share any more information with me yeah sure i've, I've actually got a number of, of projects that uh, uh i've i've got underway or i'm starting at the moment um and, and there's this i'm calling it total retail loss 2.0 uh, which is you know where does it go next and i and, and as part of that research I, I i i got feedback from over 100 retailers about how they're using and thinking about total retail loss um but also what the research is doing is fleshing out particularly the categories of loss associated with e-commerce um, in, in the original research it really only had two categories because not very many people were capable of measuring the losses associated with e-commerce and now i think that's changed and so i've uh, develop that part of the model further and so now actually there's now in the current in current um, version of the typology is now 41 categories of loss um, because I've really fleshed out that so that research is 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 coming to fruition um, I'm going to be completing the report in the next month or so that will be made available freely available um, probably um, in something like August September uh, so I'm looking forward to getting that finished. I'm also just starting a piece of research looking at how we can measure the extent to which retailers are suffering from losses where customers push out uh, losses using trolleys through, particularly through supermarkets. Um, people often talk about how much loss there is associated with what, what is called push out theft. Um, mm -hmm. I'm running, I'm going to be running a project where I'm going to try and measure how much loss there is associated with that. And then also evaluate one of the ways in which those losses might be uh, curtailed so i'm just starting that research that hopefully will be finished in late 2019 um, and then i'm just starting a project looking at um, what are the 10 ways in which video technologies can help loss prevention do a more effective job uh, we, we talk a lot about video technologies and there's an awful lot of uh, very innovative systems and ideas out there but i want to actually go and find out what are the systems that retailers are using now and why are they using them and what benefits are they are they getting from that and so that research will be i'm doing that for ecr so that will be a free report that should be available in early 2020 probably around about january february 2020 and then just a final one just to mention nicole is um i'm doing follow-up work on my the, the self-scan study that i i, I finished uh, late last year um i'm wanting to do some research looking at um, how we try and evaluate ways to, to manage the problem more effectively. You know, the researcher was very good at saying, look, here is the size of the problem. Um, and it put forward some ways in which we might try and manage it more effectively. But there is no sense of, you know, how effective are those approaches. So I want to try and do some evaluation work on some of the interventions that people are trying to, you know, to try and reduce the losses that, that, that they may be experiencing through self-scan. So lots of things underway. I'm keeping myself very busy. I know. Aren't you supposed to be, you know, slowing down a little bit? Supposed to be, yes. I keep meaning to, but um, I'm enjoying it too much. <laughs> well, Adrian, we've made it to the final countdown, the last three questions. So if you weren't in academia, what do you think you'd want to do? 
Um, I've always, I would always like to have been a mountaineer. Um, I love being in the mountains, uh, and and for me, just just getting into that space and, and having the opportunity to, to to climb some really big mountains for me would have been something amazing to do. Uh, I'm not sure my wife would be too keen on me doing that, but that's what I would have loved to have been would have been a mountaineer. Could we have uh, maybe heard you yodeling in the mountains? <laughs> you wouldn't want to. <laughs> Adrian, if you could change anything in the retail industry, what do you think it would be? You know, for me, the, the, the biggest frustration I have is trying to get retailers to share information. And we talked about this earlier, didn't we? And, and it is a frustration for me trying to get information out. We, we seem to have, you know, created this culture where, where anything relating to loss prevention is considered to be secret, you know, and so companies readily share their information about sales and and you know and all and all the data related to that and yet whenever it comes to you know sharing information around losses it's all it's always very secret and we not i can't tell you it's you know and, and i don't understand that i don't know why we've created this culture where people don't want to share information i'll just give you one example you know when i was doing my total retail loss research recently and i doing the online survey you know, and I sent it out to, and I'm going to pick on Australia here in particular because of who I'm speaking to. <laughs> I sent it out. I sent it out to all the members of the Profit Protection Future Forum to fill in, all of them, and mm -hmm. I only got two. I only got two responses. Yeah. Uh, you know, and for me that's very frustrating because if you want to, you know, if you want to progress this industry, if we want to make it better, then we need to invest time and energy in research and thinking about how we can make it better. But without data. It's very frustrating and very difficult. So if I could change anything, I'd I'd make people fill in my questionnaires. <laughs> do, you, do you think that it's not that they don't want to participate, it's they don't have the resources or the time to participate? It would, it, does that play a factor in it, do you think? I'm sure there's something in that, but, you know, this was a five-minute survey and it was, it, was, it was opinions, it wasn't data, you know, okay. and so... Yeah, yeah, there is certainly something in that that I think people can be can be embarrassed if they haven't got the data. But this, you know, and I'm not just picking on you know Australia, though I am. Um, <laughs> but you know, there is, is an ongoing frustration that that there seems to be this difficulty and this culture that we can't we can't share this information for, for whatever reason. It might be embarrassment, inability, or you know, some historical cultural issues around it's considered to be too sensitive. And I, I, for the most time, I don't think it is. And I think the industry would only benefit if it was slightly more open about what it was, what it was prepared to share. Mm. And lastly, your advice for anyone wanting to get it to work in academia and do the things that you do? Well, I, I remember the advice that my father gave me when I first went into academia. And he said to me, but why aren't you getting a proper job? Uh, and um, that has always stayed with me. Is it, is, it, is it the career that you want to do? And if it is, well, I think there are three things you need, you, you, you need to think about. One is when you're doing your research, think about what impact you can have. You know, it, it's very good and very important to do theoretical work. But increasingly, I think universities need to be seen to be playing an even more important role in our communities. And therefore, how can you translate your research into something that's going to have impact, I think, is very important. Uh, secondly, I think, think about how you can use technologies. You know, the technologies are, are moving so fast. It's so incredible, the world that we now live in, in terms of technology. So think about how can you use those in terms of your teaching. And then thirdly, I think my, my final piece of advice would be make sure you get the balance right in terms of the amount that you work and the amount that you rest. It's very easy for us to 
you know, end up in a world where busy is considered to be the norm and considered to be you know what you should be and actually we need to remember that you know life's about living and it isn't always all about work very good advice <laughs> adrian it's always such a pleasure catching up with you and i am really looking forward to uh, seeing the findings from your research your four research projects that you've got ongoing um, okay. and i'm definitely going to talk to the rest of the committee uh, on our next meeting or at our next meeting to see if we can get you out here next year. So um, well, so you can talk to our the PPFF organisation again. Oh, I, I always love coming down to Australia to, to meet you lot. It's, it's, it's always a great experience. And uh, so, yeah, if, if there's any opportunity, I'd, I'd love to come down and share my research results with you next year. Well, we always get such a good turnout too. You're a jaw yes. card. <laughs> <laughs> so if you'd like to get in touch with Professor Adrian Beck, you can find him on LinkedIn or his Twitter handle is at Adrian underscore Beck one, or you can email him at bna at le.ac.uk. We'll put all these details in the show notes. You can subscribe to this weekly podcast via iTunes, Google Podcasts and Spotify, and there's a link to download episodes and show notes on the PPFF website. This podcast is proudly brought to you by the Profit Protection Future Forum. It is written and produced by Juliet Woodward and myself, Nicole Smith, and is kindly hosted by Wooshka. In the next episode of Retails, Conversations with Profit Protection, I'm talking to Wendy Marshall about the importance of white papers and the process of how to write a white paper. I hope you'll join me next week so we can keep talking all things profit protection. Thanks for listening to Retails, Conversations with Profit Protection. If you like what you hear, make sure you subscribe via iTunes, Google Podcasts or Spotify. If you want to find out more about the Profit Protection Future Forum, head to ProfitProtection.co or find us on LinkedIn. Drop us a message on info at ProfitProtection.co with feedback on our show.